past uh, several weeks, we've been doing a series of sermons on uh, individuals that are in the Bible. And some of the people that we've been looking at are some people that you may have recognized their name and you may have not. They're not seem to be very popular, but yet God used them in a remarkable, remarkable way. Today we're going to talk about another man that I think that uh, was such a great blessing to the early church. But before I get into that, I um, want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard of these names before? Archibald Alexander Leach. Or possibly, have you ever heard of this particular name? Harold Lloyd Jenkins. Or maybe this name. Francis Octavia Smith. Now here's a name that you should never forget. Muziad Yakahub. Now I'm sure you've heard that name before. Or the name Frederick Austerlitz. Has anybody ever heard those names? You probably know those individuals, but you know them by a different name. The uh, Have you ever heard of Cary Grant? He is, of course, Archibald Alexander Leach. And he changed his name to Cary Grant, the stage name. Harold Lord Jenkins is best known as Conway Twitty. Francis Octavia Smith, now this might tell you age, uh, she is best known as Dell Evans. And then uh, Muziad Yakahub, which I don't blame him for changing his name, <laughs> is Danny Thomas. And then Frederick Asterlitz is Fred Astaire. See, even though we did not know their name, we did know their surname or their stage name. That's about like the guy that we're going to be talking about today. His name is Joseph. And probably a lot of people think, now who in the world is he? But I know that you probably have heard the name Barnabas before. Well, he is the, the, his surname was Barnabas, the son of consolation, the son of encouragement. This uh, individual was a man that was used of God in a remarkable way in the early church. Some 25 different times his name is mentioned in the book of Acts. Five times it is mentioned in the epistles. And so we know of Barnabas as that great partner of the Lord with Paul the Apostle. Barnabas was an encourager. We need more Barnabases in our churches today. We need men and women that are encouragers. 
We don't need the discouragers. Some people say that every church have what is called a cold water committee. Anytime somebody gets on fire for the Lord, they want to just cool them down. Or the brigade, I mean the um, brigade brigade. In other words, a water brigade. That's what I'm trying to say. Of wanting to cool and to water somebody down. Well, here is an encourager. An encourager that I want us to look at today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 36. And I think we'll go ahead and read verse 37 because it explains a little bit about him as well. So with your Bibles open, would you stand with me? Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And we'll read verse 37. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What an encourager Barnabas was to the early church. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before your presence today excited to be able to study about a man that everywhere he went, he was encouraging people, encouraging that early church, encouraging the Apostle Paul. Encouraging John Mark and others as we see throughout the scriptures. Oh, what a tremendous ministry he had. And Lord, we in the world today are stricken with tremendous times of discouragement. And so we're thankful that you send people to us that are encouragers. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit today. Hide us behind the cross. May we not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well. Father, have your liberty in your servant today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Several things that I want to share with you today that I think that will encourage you with this man by the name of Barnabas. I want us to go back and do a little study of him in just for a few moments. So the very first thing I want us to look at, the description of his consecration. Now, notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. The Bible says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. There is a summary of this man. This is a description of the consecration of this man. And and the scriptures breaks it down in three different ways. He said, first of all, that he was a good man. 
It speaks of his character. It speaks of his character, his disposition. It speaks of the way that he was thought of by his peers. It speaks of the way that he lived. He was a good man because he did did good things. And he did good things because he was a good man. And so therefore, you began to recognize his character. And what a tremendous character he had. I remember my dad used to tell me when I was growing up. It takes a whole life to build a good character. But it only takes a few seconds to destroy it. And isn't that true? That is so true. Your character says a lot about you. What people think of you says a lot about you. The way they look at you and the way they listen to you and the way that they admire you and respect you says a lot about you or the way that they disrespect you or the way that they do not want to listen to you. The way that they do not want to follow you says a lot about you. I like what Philip Brooks said about character. He says, he is, it is a man who lives right and is right and has more power in his silence than others has by his words. Character is like bells which ring and ring out sweet music and which, when touched, accidentally even resound with sweet music. And oh, how true that is. So you began to recognize this was an extraordinary man because he was a good man. People looked upon him with great respect. But it goes a step further. It said not only was he a good man, but the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the reason he was a good man. Because it was the Spirit of God living in him and directing him and guiding him to make him to become the man that he was. To be full of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of what the Scripture tells us in chapter 5, verse 18 in the book of Ephesians. It says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that's not a word that is advising you, but it is a word that is commanding you to be filled with the Spirit. Every child of God is to be filled with the Spirit of God. There's been a lot of misunderstandings about what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Some people think that you're zapped with this spirit and all of a sudden you act different and you do certain things and you behave certain ways. And My friend, I want you to understand, being filled with the spirit of God is not being zapped with the spirit. It's allowing the spirit to have control of your life. It is allowing him to have Rule and reign. I believe what it means is allowing Christ to be the Lord of your life. You go back and you study about the fruit of the Spirit. 
And as it speaks about love, peace, joy, long-suffering, and all the others that goes with it, my friend, only time that that will ever take places in your life is when God's Spirit is in complete direct control of your life. It is like the picture of a sailboat. And as that sailboat is out there on the water, and the wind comes and gusts, and it fills that sail, and it guides that sail, and maneuvers and directs that sailboat to where it was to go. My friend, that's exactly the way the Spirit of God is wanting to live and fill your life today. He's that he wants to fill you. He wants to control you. And Barnabas was a man that was controlled. It's not only his walk, but his talk was controlled by the Spirit of God. So, you recognize his character. You recognize the control of his life. But then the Bible goes a step further and talks about that he was a man of faith, the confidence of Barnabas, a man of faith, not only a good man, not only a man that was filled with the Spirit of God, but he was a man of faith. In other words, he was a man that was confident in the Word of God. He was confident that God was true to His Word and that He could Abide by the word. My friend, don't ever misunderstanding of the importance of the blessed word of God. Faith cometh by hearing how? By the word of God. Barnabas was a man that knew the word. Barnabas was a man that was a student of the word. Barnabas was a man that allowed the word to guide his footsteps in the path of righteousness. Oh, my friend, full of faith. Full of faith. I like what A.W. Tozer said as he begins to give a definition of faith. Listen to this. Faith is not optimism, though it may breed optimism. It is not cheerfulness, though the man of faith is likely to be reasonably cheerful. It is not a vague sense of well-being or a tender appreciation for the beauty of human togetherness. Faith is confidence in God's self-revelation as found in the Holy Scripture. That's what faith is. Listen Faith is confidence. It is confident in God's self-revelation as found in the Holy Scriptures of the Word of God. John G. Patton, a great missionary, was on the mission field in a foreign land. And he was translating Scripture to the native tongue of the people that he was ministering to. He couldn't come up with the word faith of that that particular native tongue. 
He couldn't come up with the word belief for that native tongue. Until one particular day, there he was in his tent. And one of the natives came in after a long, hard day. And he sat down on the chair and he began to put his feet on another chair. And in his native tongue, he says, I lean my whole weight on this chair. At that time, Patton said, that's it. That's it. That is the translation for belief and faith. And that's exactly what Barnabas did. He leaned his whole weight upon the Word of God in confidence of God's Word being true and that he could act upon that Word. A man of faith. Think about it. What a tremendous description of a man. He's a good man. If somebody was to speak of him, they'd say, Barnabas, a good man. Someone else would say, oh, he's a man filled with the Spirit of God. Someone else would say, oh, he's not only a man filled with the Spirit of God, he's a man of faith, that he leaned his whole weight upon the Word of God in confidence that God's Word is true. So, we've noticed the description of His consecration. Let's go a step further and not only notice the description of His consecration, but the depths of His cooperation. We first meet Barnabas in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. And we see him in the infant stage of that church's life. And we see some exciting things that is taking place in that church. That church looked upon themselves as a spiritual community. And there, as they looked upon themselves in, as, in the manner of a spiritual community, they began to recognize the hardships that many of those young believers were experiencing. And they were without jobs, without welfare of coming into their life of supporting and meeting their needs. And there they began to realize the needs of that congregation. And so what they did, many of the people began to sell their land and their property. And they brought the money that they received at the feet of the apostles to distribute to the needy of that church. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, talks about that very thing. It says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Oh, as there you began to recognize, there was what is known was personal acts of giving. Verse 34 and verse 35 
begins to explain that very thing. It says, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed it to each as anyone had need. What a tremendous work that God was doing in the life of that church. Here these people recognizing there were great needs among that congregation. And they went out and they sold and they brought the prophets to the church and there allowed the church to distribute the prophets. Oh, my friend... These believers saw something that they had never witnessed before in their life. They had become stewards of God's possessions. They did not look upon their possessions as their possessions, but they looked upon it as God's possessions and that God allowed them to be stewards of those possessions. My, 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 have we not changed. We have Christians today that have a hard time believing that you should give 10% of your possessions to the Lord. Heard someone say, well, after all, 10% is God's. No, they're wrong. All of it's God's. God is requiring you to give 10% back as a token of your understanding that it is God's. And that you come and you bring those possessions to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we feel like, God, what is mine is mine. And what's yours? Yeah, I'll take that too. I like what... Albert Barnes writes. He says there was an imminent and instructive instance of Christian liberality and of the power of the gospel in overcoming one of the strongest passions that ever exists in the human bosom, the love of money. The love of money. He goes on to say, they felt that they were members of one family, belonging to the same Redeemer. Listen to this. To the same Redeemer, and they therefore imparted their property, how? Cheerfully to their brethren. They imparted cheerfully. The Bible says that we are to be cheerful givers. My friend, that means that you're hilarious in when you're giving. When the offering plate goes around, everybody ought to be saying, Woo! (laughs) That you're excited that you are able to give. My friend, I want you to understand, this is what it's all about. So you began to recognize it the personal act of giving. But look at Barnabas for a moment. Not only you see the personal act of giving in the life of that early church, 
But you notice the particular act of giving. Verses 36 and 37 says, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. (laughs) Barnabas did not only talk about it, he did it. Barnabas, a Levite. A man that no doubt probably was pretty wealthy. And he recognized there was a need within the church. And he goes and he sells his property. And he brought it to the church. Can you imagine the encouragement that gave to the others in that body? Can you imagine of how it just sort of gave them that spiritual lift that they needed in their walk? Here was a man. No wonder they nicknamed him Barnabas. Encourager. And by his act and by the way that he demonstrated it, he recognized that he was to be a good steward of his possessions. And he brought it to the church willingly, not grudgingly, but he brought it to the church. I think if there's anything that is more of a testimony I can't think of, of a child of God is their giving. I think by your giving, it says a lot about you. If you really want to know what you believe that is the most important thing in your life, check out your checkbook. Where do you spend most of your money? And what do you spend it on? I believe a good man filled with the Holy Spirit, a man of faith, that he will recognize that the first fruits is to be brought before the Lord and to be given to the Lord. One of the best books I have ever read about this was about a man by the name of Ray Alcorn. Ray Alcorn wrote the book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, the principle is timeless. There is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. The spirit of giving exemplifies who we are and what we are. It was in the life of Barnabas. It tells us a lot about his true spiritual condition. Here was a man thought more about eternal things than he did about earthly things. Sadly to say, 
that is lost within the church today in many ways. But I want you to go a step further with me. We've looked at not only Barnabas as a man of character and cooperation and the personal act of giving, the particular act of giving. But thirdly, I want you to notice with me the demonstration of his consolation. The name Barnabas was a name that he had earned. It was a name that he deserved. They saw him always encouraging people. I want to point out two different ones that he encouraged. And because of his encouragement, we've been blessed by those two individuals today. The first one. I've titled this the encouragement of one who was feared. And that was the Apostle Paul. Barnabas was a close companion of the Apostle Paul. They went together on the very first missionary journey. They were co-pastors of the church of Antioch. They were hand in glove. When you saw one, you saw the other. When you saw one witnessing, you saw the other one witnessing. You saw one preaching, you saw the other one preaching. Here was two great men of God in that early church. But something that you may not realize or you may have realized, didn't realize how much of an influence that Barnabas had on Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9. Verse 26, it says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. You remember, before Paul, he was known as Saul. Saul, a man that persecuted Christians, even would kill them if he could. And the church was afraid of him. But then, of course, there on the road to Damascus, we began to realize that that Saul had a visit with the Lord Jesus Christ and he became no longer Saul, the persecutor, but he became Paul, The apostle, Paul, the man of God. But he came to the early church. Now the early church had experienced all these persecutions. They had heard of Paul. And they were afraid of him. I can understand. They had been persecuted. They had been annihilated and hurt by the works of Saul. And now all of a sudden, he wants to join the church. He wants to be a part of the church. They thought this was a ploy of Paul, that where he tried to attack the church outwardly, now he's going to try to come inside the church and attack the church inwardly. But guess what happens? (laughs) Old Barnabas 
Old Barnabas puts his arm around Paul. And Barnabas gives a witness to Paul and says, You receive him. You receive him. It was because of Barnabas and the work of Barnabas. Acts chapter 9 verse 27 speaks of that. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Oh, Barnabas was encouraging Paul. Paul, you are a man that God has placed his hand upon. When everybody else doubted Paul, old Paul, I mean old Barnabas was there to encourage him. We need those kind of encouragers. When a person get saved a lot of times there's, they come from a, a lifestyle that is so contrary to the to the what the Bible describes a child of God is and we sometimes look upon them with doubt we sometimes wonder are they really changed are they really a child of God we'll have to wait and see We need someone that will come alongside them, put an arm around them, and to say, we're here for you, my brother. We're here to serve with you and to help you and to grow. That's what mentoring is all about. Encouraging one another to grow in the Lord. Romans chapter 15 verse 1 speaks of that when he says, when then he who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, it goes a step further by saying, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what the church is all about, my friend. Is that we're to equip. We are to encourage. We are to come alongside them. And that's exactly what old Barnabas did. You see it throughout the Bible. Oh, you see it of how Moses took Joshua by the hand. And there, as he passed the mantle off to Joshua to lead his people You see it with Elijah and Elisha. And you see it with Barnabas and Paul here coming alongside them and encouraging them to grow in the faith. Had it not been for the Barnabas, we may not have seen the Apostle Paul as the greatest preacher, the greatest missionary, the greatest writer as we see him today. We give a lot of attributes to Paul, which he was a great man. Other than the Lord Jesus Christ, probably the greatest Christian who have ever lived. But I believe that was behind it all was a man by the name of Barnabas. Encouraging him. But I want you to notice his encouragement was not only one of those that who feared, but also for one that who had failed. 
Acts chapter 12, verse 25. The Bible talks about where Barnabas and Paul had just returned from Jerusalem. It says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them whose surname was Mark. John Mark. Heard of him before, hadn't you? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. See, on their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas had taken with them a man by the name of John Mark. A young guy. But along the way, some reason or another, John Mark got discouraged. And John Mark decided to defect from the journey. And he comes home. Well, after Paul and Barnabas had come back, they were getting ready to go back and to revisit some of the churches that they had established and that they had preached at. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. (laughs) Old Paul said, oh, no, 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 no. John Mark's not coming back with me. John Mark had his chance. I'm not bringing him back with me. And old Barnabas encourages Paul to take John Mark. And the Bible talks about there was a dispute between Barnabas and Paul because of this very thing. And the Bible says that they departed and went their separate ways. Paul takes Silas on his journey. And then, of course, Barnabas takes Mark on his journey. What if, what if Barnabas had not come alongside of John Mark during this time? I wonder if we would have the gospel of Mark today. What if he hadn't stood up for it? I wonder would we have those beautiful words in his gospel, in his epistle, as we have today. Encouragement, people. I don't think that we can put enough value Upon that, as we can. Because John, I mean, because of Barnabas, he has set the example before us today. We need to encourage one another. Writing a little note. Giving a phone call. Making a visit. Putting an arm around the shoulder. A smile upon your face. I wonder how many people that will walk in the doors of our church every Sunday that just needs a little encouragement. Just needs a little encouragement. Don't overlook 
I believe one of the greatest, greatest ministries of the church as encouragement is. Henry Ford. Everybody recognizes his name. He said something about encouragement. He says the ability to encourage others is one of life's finest assets. He understood what encouragement was. When he began to build that first automobile, he was ridiculed. He was laughed at. He was one that became discouraged. But oh, there was a man by the name of Edison that encouraged him. Edison, of course, began to realize that Henry Ford had something. And they were at a dinner meeting one night. And Edison was just right down a few seats away from Henry Ford. And as Henry Ford was beginning to describe and had scribbled out on a piece of paper about this first thing called an automobile. And the way that he was going to manufacture this. He'd heard all kinds of discouraging words, but then all of a sudden Edison says, that's it. See, some had thought that the electric carriage was going to be the future of the world. And then he slapped his hand down, Edison slapped his hand down on the table, and he says, you've got it, young man. Go for it. Henry Ford said later, he said, the thumb of that fist upon the table was worth worlds to me. That night. My friend, you don't know what you might be doing in somebody's life today when you're encouraging them. You may not never know what God has plans in the future for that person. And all they needed to do is to hear or to experience an expression of encouragement. Let's be encouragers. Amen? Amen? Let's be encouragers. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Barnabas. For what a man he was. A man that was known throughout his community as a good man. A man full of the Holy Spirit. A man of faith. A man that encouraged. Lord, as I speak here today, there might be someone that has come into this church very discouraged. They might be discouraged over their finances. They might be discouraged over their, their marriage. They might be discouraged over the relationships of another brother or sister. A broken relationship. 
But you've sent them here today to encourage them. You are the greatest encourager of all. Because of you, you change our lives. And you make us new. And put us on the path of your righteousness. A solid path that leads to eternal life. Lord, they may be someone here today that have never met you, they've never experienced you, but you've sent them here today. And if they will just open their heart and believe and receive you as their Savior and Lord, oh, what a difference you make. And oh, what a difference you will make in their life. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will raise up encouragers in our body. Help us all to be men and women to encourage one another in the faith. So, Lord, during this appointed moment, I believe there's some that needs to come and renew their relationship with you. Some to experience that relationship. There may be some that needs to come and be a part of the fellowship of this church. Lord, demonstrate your will in the lives of your people. And to you we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name.